Amen. Exodus chapter number four, and we'll dismiss our children. Exodus chapter number four. Uh, This is our anniversary Sunday, homecoming, 64th year. Great blessings that we've had in the past. We have a lot to be thankful for, but we even have more blessings promised to us going forward in the future. Our main priority is not to protect the past. We can't do a lot with that. We do reflect. We go back. We remember. But our main priority is to protect the future. And we, um, we have a lot in, in store because God still has more in store. While we're meeting over here, uh, we um, have the, the Osmond family have been meeting over right next door in our eighth building just to give you an update and and many have been praying for Brother Osmond's mom and dad who have been coming, speak very little English, and um, uh, they're burdened. We've been burdened about their salvation and just trying to uh, communicate with them. And they've been using the Google Translator, sitting in service, sitting at the Bible Fellowship, coming at 9.15, and just not picking it up quite a bit. I want to say, too, as I'm thinking, it's going by, people have all kinds of excuses why they can't come to church. And they have a pretty good one. They have a hard time understanding. And Brother Osmond Jr. was trying to explain to his mom and dad, no, the preacher didn't say that. That's not his Google Translator. And I'm, I am confident I didn't say a lot of things that <laughs> Google Translator was saying I said. Never even thought of those things. Brother Autry may have, but I've, I've never, <laughs> never said those things. And, and so it's been a challenge. And, and uh, I, I reached out to... Um, uh, a preacher friend out in New Mexico who pastors, uh, Jesus Jacobo, um, and just said, would you mind, let's just do a Zoom meeting with them. And so we had set up this morning and Jesus was going to speak with them at 1015 by way of Zoom and Brother Labee got it set up. Well, Brother Osmond said, we've got some more family that were coming in. We didn't know they would be here. They're coming in at 1030. Could they come? I said, sure. I said, hey, Seuss, it's just burden to give the, the gospel. And I remember preaching out there years ago in, in uh, New Mexico and preaching in the, the English church where they were and then the Spanish ministry. And then they've launched and have their own Spanish ministry. And bought, they're on their second building. It's just great to see what God's doing. But, but I said, hey, Seuss, can you just give them the gospel? And he said... Yeah, I can give the gospel, and that's what they just did. And, and right as they were singing the last thank you, um, Brother Osmond texted and said, six of them got saved this morning. And so, that's, that's great. I'm thankful for that. All right, you got some more need to be saved here this morning, so let's get after it, all right? Exodus chapter number four, and... Um, Look at the end of the chapter here. I'm thinking in terms of what God did in the revival meeting this week and in terms of what we're here about this morning with respect to the anniversary and going forward. And if you remember Exodus 1, 2, 3, and 4, we're here at the beginning um, uh, stages of God at work in delivering His people. They've been slaves for a long time. And God's been working in a man... His name is Moses and his life and getting him ready. There's a lot of times a desire you may have for God to use you. And just know before you ever had the desire for God to use you, he had a desire long before to use you. 
And God wanted to use Moses long before Exodus chapter 3 and 4, but it took God working out of Moses, Moses. He had to get Moses out of Moses in order for God to get in and be able to work in his life. We heard a lot about that in terms of Jacob this past week. And finally, things are coming together here in the end of Exodus in chapter number 4 and verse number 28. And uh, let's go ahead and stand if you're able to do so and, and let's look at this end here. And Moses told Aaron, there's this brother, that's his brother, they're coming to, to partner together. And Moses told, told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. That's the recipe for a good meeting right there. And so they heard what God has to say, what God's thinking, what God's going to do. They saw some of the signs and the, the miracles. They saw some of these things here in their midst. And the Bible says, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, the Lord, he's heard our cry. The Lord is moving in on the scene. What else can you do? But bow your head and worship. We've been told of a, of a lot of things this past week in the revival meeting of what God's going to do. And the, the right response to God meeting with us is to worship. Good meeting. That's, that's the way a revival meeting should look. That's the way church should look. Chapter 5, verse 1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and lived happily ever after. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Good revival meeting. Good conclusion to God stepping into the scene and God hearing our cry. They bowed their head. They worshiped. They sang the song, thank you. But it didn't read too well. The next day. Pharaoh's not cooperating. Pharaoh said, I don't know who you're singing about. I don't know who you're bowing to. You're a bunch of slaves. I don't answer to any man. And I'm not answering to some God that I don't know. I'm not listening to him. And you're going nowhere. Well. 
What a revival meeting. Uh, that, that didn't go over so well. Now, that's why in, in evangelism, one of the reasons why I said, boy, I had it really easy in evangelism. We just saw the good stuff. We just saw the end of chapter 4, worshiping and thanking God. We just gave truth. People responded to it. That's great. I was never around for the afterward. But there is an afterward. And it doesn't look too good. Here's the title of the message. Cheer up. It's going to get worse. Cheer up. It's going to get worse. Happy 64th anniversary. (laughs) Thank you. Please be seated. The Egyptians. You see them all throughout the book of Exodus. These are the oppressors of God's people. The Israelite. These are the oppressed people of God. They're in a miserable state. They realize we don't have to live this way. God doesn't want us to live as slaves. God has a better plan for us. Moses, he's the man that God has used to lead his people. God always works through a man. God always works through individuals. God doesn't need us, but thankfully he uses us. We're told he used a boy whose name we've never been given who just had his lunch of five loaves and two fishes and that's all God needed and God didn't even need that but he took that which shows God wants to use his people and then we see Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not his name, it's his title. He was the greatest man on the, on the planet, power and authority and he was the obstacle that was hindering the people of God. And this is a great revival meeting. We see a great conclusion. The message was delivered. What was the message? You don't have to live as slaves. God never intended for you to be in bondage. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But after that, there's heartache and regret. Because where lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it always results in separation from God was teaching in the school this past week of the sin in the garden. God promised you eat that fruit of the tree, you're going to die. I asked the kids, did they die immediately? They said, no. I said, yes. They died immediately in separation from God. They died physically sometime later, but immediately there's separation from God. Whether you feel it, whether you sense it is not the issue. Knowing that God says it's true is the issue. Then this spiritual party at the end of chapter 4 has a a whole other twist in chapter 5 and verse 1 and afterward. Afterward. In 1861, we find the first land battle, the Civil War. It was fought just 30 miles from Washington and The South, the Southerners referred to the battle as the Battle of Manassas. And it was also nicknamed the Picnic Battle. Because many believed that this was only going to be a 90-day war. And so they, they went to watch this battle. And many dressed up, took 
picnic to watch the battle take place. Men and women, even children, came to witness the predicted union victory. But it wasn't a picnic as it ended. Although the Union Army performed well that morning, by around 4.15 they became frightened and they fled. Near the battlefield there was a group of senators. They were eating, distributing sandwiches when retreating stampede of soldiers and horses and wagons disrupted their lunch. And after the battle, these distraught senators had to go back to Washington to deliver as an eyewitness to the stunned President Lincoln the Union Army's defeat at the Battle of Manassas. What happened? Well, they realized this is going to be more than a 90-day battle. What happened? Well, the Northern Army's greatest mistake was that they underestimated the resistance of their opponent. Resistance. Resistance is defined as the refusal to accept or comply with something. It's the attempt to prevent something by action or argument. Well, that was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the resistance that stood in the way between God's people and freedom. That was Pharaoh. Pharaoh refused to accept. He refused to comply with God's plan and God's man. And every attempt that you're going to find for several chapters, if you were to read this, you're going to find that Pharaoh, he may comply here and he may um, concede here, but ultimately he is a man that is constantly reverting back to resisting God. Now, Here's the picture. What was it that they heard in their revival meeting at the end of chapter 4? Well, they heard that God, their cries have not gone unnoticed by God. God has heard their cry. God has stepped into the situation. And they're to go on a three-day journey into the wilderness to worship God. Well, that sounds easy, except they're slaves. And there's a Pharaoh who has all authority and power upon planet earth. He was their obstacle. He was their resistance. He was the resistance to disrupt their worship with God. Listen, if you're ever going to experience freedom from bondage, if you're ever going to shake the stronghold of sin that is taking the life of God out of you, You're going to have to get victory in your personal walk with God and in your worship before God. You must, however, never overlook the fact that God, while he's for you, there is an enemy that is against you. And he'll do everything he can to resist any attempt you make to worship God. So what Moses had to constantly be reminded of and the people of God were having to learn is that resistance and opposition is waiting for you. Resistance and opposition is waiting for you. Resistance is definite. Job chapter 14 and verse 1 says that man that is born of trouble... 
uh, is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. You don't have to be many days in this life before you experience trouble. Jesus said, John 16, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. But he said, you will have tribulation. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We are being told over and over and over again, there is resistance, there is opposition. Don't think if you're struggling, you're the only one struggling. There's no lone ranger when it comes to struggle. We all have a Pharaoh lurking and longing to destroy. We all have an opposition by Satan that is looking to trip us up. What is he ultimately trying to cripple? Your worship. Your relationship with God. That's why we have the track. Three things that everyone needs. One is the first one is a personal relationship with God. That's why people struggle when it comes to church. I want to go to this church. I want to go to that church. I want this flavor. Like they're ordering scoops of ice cream on a cone. The reason why they don't know what kind of church relationship to have is because they're not settled on their own personal relationship with God. Why? Because from the very beginning, that's what the resistance by Satan has been designed to attack in. He started in the garden. Satan doesn't care if you're religious. Satan is the one who brought up God to Adam and Eve. Satan is not going to... If you're accustomed to some form of religion, Satan is going to say, have at it, do more of it. All he's doing, however, is crippling your relationship with God so that you call the shots and not God. He doesn't mind you being religious. In fact, he will encourage, he will convict you if you're not religious enough. Because he knows that he can, just as he did with Eve, his subtlety, getting the woman to help. Help think with me, Eve. You know God. You know God would want you to do this. You know God would want you to be happy. You know that God knows that if you did this, you would just, you'd have the time of your life. What was Satan doing? He was still resisting her. He was resisting God. He was the resistance to keep her from experiencing God. Did she get what she wanted? Sure, but she lost what she had. You've got to know that resistance is definite. But you also have to understand this. While resistance is definite, it's designed by Satan to destroy you. It's also allowed by God to develop you. It was never God's will for Adam and Eve to sin. But God sure did know how to use Satan. God sure does know how to use the the demons of hell. God can use anybody, anything to his glory. In other words, Satan is no match for God. So why would we want to listen to resistance to the Pharaoh talking to us and not listen to God? 
resistance is great. The resistance of Pharaoh is to destroy us. But God will allow it because God can take whatever Satan will throw and God can hit a home run every time because he will allow it to develop us. So what is it we need to do? If we're going to take the, the revival that took place at the end of chapter 4 and go forward with God and not be a statistic and go forward with God and experience freedom and liberation, then we're going to need to identify where is the opposition coming from? Where is our resistance? In chapter 5 and verse 1, notice what it says. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told, what's the word? Pharaoh. So in other words, they're identifying this is our problem right here. They went in and they confronted their problem. Let me ask you, what is it that's destroying your momentum with God? Well, we're told three enemies we have is the world, it's the devil, and our very own flesh. And when we can identify where is the opposition coming from, it'll help you be able to attack that. Take control of the situation and face the resistance. Face your Pharaoh. Whatever it is that God spoke to you about last week, whatever it is that God spoke to you about even on Saturday, and I hope that God spoke to you on Saturday because his word is still alive. Whatever it is that God speaks to us about, we need to recognize there is resistance. There is opposition. We'll address it. Attack it. Attack whatever's attacking you. Moses went to Pharaoh. Although Pharaoh's greater than Moses, he went in, he made clear, here's what God says. Here's what God wants us to do. And what did Pharaoh say? No go. Not going to budge. I don't really care what kind of testimony time you had. It's not going to work. And so here's what you can expect of your Pharaoh. You can expect your resistance to seem unbearable. That's why we have a conqueror series. Because many of the strongholds that engulf a man, whether it be pornography or anger or substance abuse, many times a man will come to one of these meetings that we have and, and it's because they've tried to shake it. They, they started out with saying, I can give it up at any time. Then it goes into, well, it's not that big a deal. And then it goes into, well, it's not as bad as something else. And, and then all the while, it's like a, a slithering uh, 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 python that is just bringing its, its enormous body around you, strangling the life out of you. And after a man has had so many casualties in his life, it's, it's damaged his relationship with his wife, it's now hurting his church, it's affected his job, it's affecting his children, and then he says, I think I need help. Well, you needed help long before that. But what happens is we fail to expect there's going to be some opposition to my worshiping God, my walking with God. Expect your resistance to seem as though it's unbearable. Why? Well, because it's intense. Satan, we're told, is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's loose. He, he's trying to destroy 
Well, you, you need to recognize just as Pharaoh, he was very intense in his opposition. Notice in verse two, Pharaoh said, not going to let you go. Uh, notice in verse number seven. So what happened as a result of God's people getting serious about serving God? Well, verse seven, you shall no more give the people straw to make brick and heretofore let them go and gather straw for themselves. Verse number nine, he gives them more work. He makes it harder. Verse 14, the Israelite foremen were beaten because of the failure to meet the quota, the brick quota. So Pharaoh says, I'm not going to give you straw to make bricks. I'm going to give you more work. And now I'm going to punish you for not getting it done. Notice in verse number 15. They made an appeal. Then the officers of the children of Israel came, cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? And they began to lay out the situation. What happens? Their appeal was denied. No, I'm not going easier on you. You think that there's a God in heaven who cares about you, who wants you to be freed. You've got another thing coming. And Moses' response in verse number 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. You see what Moses is saying? Moses is saying, first of all, God, whatever you do is your business, but why are you putting me into this? And he said, God, verse number 23, he said, this is a lot worse. We're worse off now than what we were before the revival meeting. We're doing worse now than what we were before we came to church. Before we ever decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. It's worse now. We were better off before. We had it easier when we were just settled in as slaves to the world. And so Moses gets a reminder from God. Notice in chapter 6 and verse 9. Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearken not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Moses can't get through to the people of God because they're, they're so whipped. And then the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? Moses said, If I can't get your people to listen to me, how am I going to get Pharaoh to listen to me? You've got to imagine Moses' difficulty. It's real. Moses had no influence over his own people. Moses' conclusion is, how am I going to have influence over this great obstacle? Maybe you're here this morning. You've had a losing record when it comes to God. You've lost more with God than the Atlanta Hawks. Have the Atlanta Hawks ever had a winning season? Do they even play basketball still? I mean, you may feel like the Atlanta Hawks of, of Christianity just, 
you're, you're, you've constantly lost. You're, you're always losing. You're, you're not able to, to make it. And, and, and you can conclude, if I'm not winning in my own life, how am I going to have influence in my family? How am I going to have influence with my coworkers? How am I going to have influence if I can't even win in my own life? And so God's honest with Moses. Go over to chapter number 7. Notice in chapter 7 and verse 4. God's being honest with him. Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And see, God is saying, Moses... I know what's happening. And God responds in verse number 9 of chapter 7, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you. Then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, cast it before Moses, and it shall become a serpent. See, God, God has an answer for the resistance. Well, in verse 14, and the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. You find that not everyone complies and responds favorably to God working. So, verse number 19. God has something to say about the resistance again. In verse number 19, you find the first miracle, the first plague. And that was the plague of blood. And if you look at verse 22, you would find, well, it seems to backfire. No one responds. Pharaoh doesn't respond favorably. There's no, there's no uh, giving in at this point. So what happens in chapter number 8 and verse 5? You have a, a second plague, the frogs. What is that? That's more of God. More resistance, there's still more of God. In chapter 8, verse 16, you have the third plague. This is the worst one of all. Gnats. I just think that has got to be, I still think we're under that judgment still. Gnats. Gnats showing up. I'd take flies any day over gnats. But, but that was part of the, the judgment. Part of God working. Verse number 19 of chapter 8. Resistance still. Opposition. Chapter 8, verse 20, the fourth plague flies. Chapter 8, verse 27, this is not about us, God is saying. This is not about the people of God only. This is about what God has told his people to do. This is about God. Chapter 8, verse 32, still doesn't work. Resistance again, it gets even harder. So chapter 9, God works some more. In verse number 6 of chapter 9, you have the fifth plague. Chapter 9, verse 10, you have the sixth plague. Chapter 9, verse 23, the seventh plague. You move into chapter 10, verse 1. It's interesting. God says, it's really bad still. God is saying, I, I know what's happening. It's bad. Chapter 10 and verse 12, the eighth plague. Chapter 10 and verse 20, doesn't seem to work. Chapter 10, verse 21, the ninth plague. What happens to that? Chapter 10, verse 27, still resistance. Chapter 11, verses 4 through 10, you have that tenth and final 
curse against Pharaoh and Egypt, which would be the plague of the firstborn. And see, God was here responding to every resistance against his plan. I think about Winston Churchill when London was bombed. Almost every building was bombed and the, 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 uh, uh, the, the scene was, was very bleak. England was on the brink of disaster and the people endured months of daily air raids and, and many of the city's children had been sent to live with families in the countryside, even strangers that would take in these children because England was, was losing any optimism that there would be anything left to salvage and fear filled the hearts of the people and it would have overcome them except for two things their will and their faith and it was in that context that Winston Churchill stirred the wavering of the people of England when he said never give in never give in never Never, never, and nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. In 1942, in that same context, Churchill said, now this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. And eventually the British people and their allies went on to win the Second World War. Listen, I see God's people facing the same kind of thought. We're not going to make it. Every time God does something, Pharaoh hunkers down even more. It gets harder. And that's been the case for the last 6,000 years. As people have concluded, I don't know if it's worth it to follow Jesus. Well, who have you been listening to? Pharaoh? The world? The devil? Your flesh? Expect resistance. Expect it not only because of its intensity, but because of the duration. Because of the duration. There we go. Young ladies, make sure you get right back there and have a seat. Don't mind you getting up. If you get up, you got to stay in the back, okay? But let's try not to move and stay put. The duration. A lot of times people think, you know, I, I can conquer this in a moment. I can conquer this in a little while. Do you know that these ten plagues didn't take place in a week? They didn't pl take place in ten days. Many commentators believe that they may have gone on for a year. And here's the other thing. Not only did it go on for an agonizingly long period of time, but God's people were never told 10 plagues and it'll be over. So they couldn't say one down, nine to go, two down, eight to go, three down, seven to go. They were never told a time frame. See, just because you don't see a way doesn't mean that there's not a way. But God doesn't work according to your time frame. You will encounter resistance if you decide to follow God. For that reason, many have concluded, I will just not 
offer myself to God. I will just not follow God because if I don't follow God, then maybe I'm not going to face resistance. No, you will just be overcome a lot sooner. See, anytime you give up on following God, you will be overtaken with the one who is out to destroy your life. Frances Chadwick, one of the great open water swimmers of all time, she was the first woman to swim across the English Channel in both directions. And she also broke the time records for making the long and difficult swim. She sent out to cover 26 miles from Catalina Island one day to the coast of California. But after Chadwick had been swimming for about 15 hours, she was surrounded by a thick fog. She began to struggle. And she was told by her mother as they were accompanying her in a boat, riding beside her. And she, was, she told her mother rather that she didn't think she could make it. And her mother was trying to encourage her to keep at it. And after struggling a little bit longer, she just gave up. She crawled into the boat. And then the next day, she was talking with the interviewer because when she got into the boat, she realized that she was less than one mile from the shore. But she could never see it because of the fog. And she said, quote, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the land, I think I might have made it. End of quote. Do you know why Moses made it? When the rest of God's people were saying, let's just stay in Egypt. Let's not go any further. Let's not make any more decisions. Let's not give any testimonies. Do you know why Moses made it? Hebrews eleven twenty seven says, Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. In other words, Moses' eyes was not upon the resistance. It was upon the God who's greater than any opposition. And so how are you going to make it? Well, you've got to deal with your resistance. How? Well, go back to chapter number six. How was it that God dealt with Moses? What did Moses see? Moses had less than what you and I have. But what was it that Moses discovered? Well, he discovered that God is always stronger than Pharaoh. God is always stronger than Pharaoh. Notice in chapter 6 and verse 1, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. After all, it's just Pharaoh. He's only Pharaoh. He's only a power and an influence by Satan. Oh, he's much more powerful than Moses, much more powerful than the nation of Israel, but he's not as powerful as God. And we find in verse number two, notice what God says, God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am appears four times in verses two through eight. I am, meaning God is saying, Moses, Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're going through, I am. I am everything you need. I am everything you need me to be. I am. He says, my name is I am. If you live in the past, it will be very hard for God does not say, I was. 
He says, I am. My name is not I was. It's I am. If you're trying to live only in the future, it will be very hard because God does not say that his name is I will be. He says it's I am. Present tense. Listen, too many are living in the past, the good old days, while you're missing God today in the present tense. And too many are living in the future of what can be, but you're missing the great I am in the present tense. And God tells Moses in verse six, in, in, in chapter six, verse six, wherefore saying to the children of Israel, after four times telling him, I am, I am, I am. He says, saying to the children of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rid you out of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgment and I will take you into me, uh, take you to be uh, to me for a people and I will be to you a God and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob and I will give it you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. Oh, he gives a lot of future prospect and blessing, but he's telling God's people, he's telling Moses, you can only bank on all things work together for good. You can only bank on the future being bright when you are living today in the presence and reality of the great I am. Seven times in those three verses, God says, I will, I will, I will keep my promise, I will. I will come through, but you will not see God come through until today you take advantage of a personal relationship with God. So how do you deal with your resistance? You've got to remember God is stronger than the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you will prove that by whichever one you're listening to. So what was the message of God to his people? Over and over and over and over again, it was the same concept. Trust and obey. Amen. Trust God fully and obey completely. Trust God fully and obey completely. That's how you experience the great I am. Now, four things that Pharaoh did with God's people. Pharaoh tried to make compromises. I want you to understand and listen to these and we'll be done. Go to chapter number eight and see the four same compromises that your Pharaoh is submitting to you today. Notice in chapter 8 and verse 25. Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. Remember, how did all this start? What was God's message to the people of God? What was God's message to Moses and to Aaron? And they gathered together the leaders and gathered together the children of God. And God, God's message to them was given very clearly. What was it? Go three days journey and worship. What is it that Pharaoh is suggesting to Moses? Go worship. But you do it right here in this land. Do you think that Pharaoh is still doing the same thing today? Uh, 
Oh, do you think Satan is suggesting the same thing today? There used to be billboards. I don't see them anymore um, because Christianity just follows along with the current of the world. It just does it at a different pace. But they used to have billboards up that said something like this. Go to the church of your choice. Well, isn't that sweet? After all, it's my body. We've heard that before, haven't we? It's my life. It's my family. It's my right. And that's what Pharaoh was saying. You serve God. That's what you want to do. You worship him. But you do so right here. Jesus put it this way, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will cling to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You say, what's so bad about this matter of staying in the land and worshiping God? Because it wasn't possible. God didn't just want their outward allegiance. He wanted their heart. He wanted a faith that wouldn't just make it in the shallow end. He wanted faith in God that would be sufficient for the deep end. In other words, look at the way Moses put it in verse 27. Pharaoh said, worship, stay in the land. Moses said, we will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. Moses, he didn't pay attention to that billboard that said just worship the way you want to. No, Moses said, you know, this whole matter of worship, it's not your idea, Pharaoh. Nor is it my idea. Because I very likely may be killed as a result of this whole thing that we're trying to accomplish. This is not about you. And this is not about me only. This is about God. And God is the one who told us to worship. And God is the one who told us how to do it. It is God who's God. We're not. It is God who is God. You're not. Well, I'm only here because it's anniversary Sunday and because somebody asked me to come. Have you ever heard of God? Well, he and I, you know, we've got this this deal worked out. He's not the God of the Bible then because the God of the Bible doesn't work out deals with you. He's not your buddy. He's not the man upstairs. He's God. He is God. Pharaoh is not doing God's people any favor and neither are many of people. And I don't care how big the size. I don't care how little. Somebody says, well, you know how many people have left Canaan over the years? Do you know how many have left Jesus over the years? A whole lot more left Jesus than have left Canaan. But Canaan is not designed to be a massage parlor for Christian souls. It's a discipleship box that is designed to help us understand he's God. We're not. Well, I don't like him. I don't like people yelling. I don't like when the preacher gets mad. I don't like when the preacher pounds the pulpit. Well, I don't like you snubbing your nose to God either. 
I said, I don't like the way people claim to be God's people, but they don't give a rip about God. I don't like that. But does it really matter what I like and don't like, what you like and don't like? What matters is this was God's idea. But Pharaoh, he's going to compromise. Why don't you just go down to the little church down the road? And they don't, they don't care whether you drink, smoke, chew, go with those who do. They don't really care. They don't care. Neither does the devil. You know, I, I grew up in a church that didn't, they didn't care about how we did things. Well, look at how it's treating you now. You, you, yeah, your life really shows that you've walked with God these many years. Yeah. Well, Pharaoh said, go, but you stay in the land. He didn't stop there. Notice in verse 28, Pharaoh said, I will let you go that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away and treat for me. See, Pharaoh attempted to position himself and still control the people to, uh, of God. You can go, but just don't, just don't go that far. Don't you, don't you hear that today? I, I don't care if you serve God, somebody says to their friend, but just don't be a fanatic about it. Just don't be radical. Well, what other faith do you see in the Bible that is real faith that's not radical? How about the faith of Caleb and Joshua? I say that's pretty radical. The ten spies said, I don't think we can do it. Caleb and Joshua said, yeah, but God can. How about little David? David, teenage boy. The entire army standing around. And you know what David's brother said? The exact same thing that Pharaoh is saying. David, you're just some proud little, little snotty-nosed punk. Go back home with those little sheep. And David said, is there not a cause? What, what, what are you waiting for? Is there not a cause? What, what, is, what is David displaying? A radical faith. Yep. Pharaoh said, but just, just don't go to. That's the problem with many of God's people. They have enough of God and enough of the world to make them absolutely miserable. Miserable. No, I got the joy, 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 joy. It's deep down in my heart. Where? Yeah, it's down there. You know, I, I, I've been naive enough and to where I think, well, this person, they're a member. So they ought to want God to try to help them. I've, I've tried, tried. Listen, I'm going to tell you, here's, you're getting ready to fall into a pit or you're getting ready to cross over a threshold that might make it more difficult for you. So I'm just going to let you know, here's the blind spot you may have, but I'm letting you know that this is dangerous territory for you to be in. Oh, okay. Okay. And then I get an entire family mad at me. Am I your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Do you not want to know when you're getting into the danger zone? Paul said in Ephesians 4, his concern for the church was that they would get to the point of being past feeling. 
they get numb to the things of God. They get numb. They don't even know anymore that they're, that they're hurting themselves. They can't even feel it. And Paul says, I'm concerned that you get past feeling. You make such stupid decisions because you're giving in to sin all around you. And if you were close to God, you would have never thought to do that. But what you've done is you've tried to stay close enough, but far enough away just so you can be miserable. Well, you know, I, I, still, I still read my Bible. Yeah, but none of us know it. None of us know it as well as Satan does. James 2, the devils pray. The devils believe, it says. So don't pat yourself on the back just because I read a little verse here and a, and a fortune cookie quote here and think, well, we're doing pretty good. When you've gotten past feeling. Well, Pharaoh didn't stop there. Pharaoh said, um, all right, that's not going to fly. Look at chapter number 10. Go over to chapter 10, verse 8. And Moses and Aaron were brought again into Pharaoh and Pharaoh said unto them, Go serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old and with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds. Will we go? For we must hold a feast unto the Lord. In verse 10, And he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, and I will let you go and your little ones Look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. You see what he's saying? He is saying to them, all right, you want your men to go worship? Go ahead. But your little ones, they stay here. You leave your children here. Release the males, but keep the women and the children. And God had some things to say to that, sent more plagues. Don't forget, fathers, Ephesians 6 and verse 4, you're to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A lot of people today will say something like this, that, you know, you can't cram the Bible down your children's throat. Oh, but you have no problem cramming every other thing that you want to do down their throat. Are oh, you cram God down their throat and they're going to hate it. Do you think that maybe if you're insistent upon them taking baths and showers that they may hate taking baths and showers? But most conclude they're going to do it anyway. Whether my kids hate it or love it, it's not the issue. The issue is, it's, it's, it's pretty important. They hate brushing their teeth. Well, that must be because you cramped it down their throat. 
And maybe some parents did because you didn't know where their teeth stopped and so you crammed a little bit too much. That's possible. But, but why are we not consistent with that? I'll tell you why we, we get cute with, don't cram it down their throat. It's because you really don't really want to say yes to Jesus yourself. And so just as many a mom has lived vicariously through her children, you see, moms looking like they missed out on the beauty pageants and so force it upon their kids. Parents who didn't have a good um, prom themselves, they're going to relive it through their kids. And because you're resisting God yourself, I, I don't really want to force it on my kids. No, but Satan is adamant. He will force it. He will force my way, my way, my way upon your kids. And so God says, I give them to you in little packages so you could... Bring them. Bring them. Lead them. Don't just tell them where to go. Lead them. You're not perfect, neither am I. Bring them. Lead them. Pharaoh had one more, and we're done. Look at chapter 10 and verse 24. Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. So now Pharaoh says, All right, take your kids if you've got to take your kids. Yeah, we've got to take our kids. But he says, leave your, leave your cattle behind. In other words, he says, Leave your business out of it. And he still says the same today. So people compartmentalize. I don't cuss at church. I only cuss when I'm on the job. I have been told construction workers, law enforcement, and military, it's a different life. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a Christian. Well, it's just the rough kind. No, you're just an idiot. Sin is sin no matter where you are. Maybe it's because you put on the clothes you put on. Well, I suggest you put on something else that will remind you he's still God. And so Pharaoh say, I know how this works. You just keep your business out of it. Don't let God get into your business. Leave those animals behind. Leave that behind. But one reason they couldn't leave the animals behind is because they needed them to worship, for worship. They needed some animals for sacrifice to worship. But I love Moses' response. Notice what Moses says in verse number 26. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I understand what Moses is saying there. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. You know what Moses is saying? Pharaoh, you don't get it. You're not God. 
You may be more powerful than I am. You may be stronger than we are, but you're not the one in charge. God has given us the orders. We're simply telling you, here's what God wants to do. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Well, just if you're going to worship, stay here in the land. We're not doing it your way. We're not worshiping as convenient to man. We're not worshiping so that it makes us feel good. We're worshiping because this is what God has demanded. Well, if you do worship, just don't go too far. No, we go all the way. We go all the way with God, all the way with God. Well, one thing I am thankful, at least Canaan Baptist has the reputation that if you come here, you got to be somewhat serious about the things of God. Someone told me that they just don't visit, that there's a reputation that if they leave a church, they don't come here. I said, good. One of the things I've prayed, Lord, would you fill up the pews from people who are not disgruntled just leaving a church? Because this matter of church is not about your flavor. It's about God. It's about following God. It's about him. And the reason why some people are not interested in church is because they really, they really just don't know him. Just like I'm not interested in your family reunion. I'm not a part of your family. And the reason you're not interested in God's family reunion is because you're really not a part of his family? It's a fair question. It's a question that determines your eternity. Well, if you do go, Moses, don't take the children. No, the children go with us. This is extremely important. Well, if you do, leave your business out of it. Not one hoof. That'd be a good church motto for the year. Not one hoof left behind. Yeah. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. Do you know God's people went on to do great things for God because they were letting God do great things for them? Because the Bible tells us that Moses trusted and obeyed. And he had to keep telling the people of God, trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no better way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The same compromises that Pharaoh was offering then, he's been offering today. And God's people have been listening to Pharaoh today when we ought to listen to the one God who is stronger than Pharaoh and trust and obey. Let's stand together, please.